Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're with Bruce DeTorres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is Bruce DeTorres doing my first weekday show. My regular show is Saturdays. It's called World Stage. It's on from 3 to 6 New York time. And I love everything about TNT Radio, lighting the fuse for freedom. And I want to encourage you, if you personally have never written a blog, made a podcast, written a letter to the editor, or even had a scary conversation at the dinner table with your friends and family about what's going on in the world, I implore you to run those experiments. The first one might be disastrous. The first one might go well, but you have to do something two or three or four or five times to get a feel for what's possible. And I assure you, before long, you will find open minds with whom you can have a real conversation about real things. Because the bottom line is each and every individual is responsible for the quality of their lives and also the amount of freedom we enjoy. That said, it's an honor to introduce my first guest, Simon Elmer. He was born and he lives in London, and he's got a PhD in the history and theory of art, and he's a vocal critic of overreaching biosecurity measures, and he champions civil liberties through his influential writings. His expertise dissects the impact of such policies on society, shaping public debate and freedom. And he's here to talk about the death of the freedom movement, the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a recent tweet of his that has caught a lot of people's attention. And it's an honor to meet you here today. Simon, how are you? I'm very well. Hello, how are you, Bruce? Thank you for having me on your show and giving me a chance to talk about these issues. My my pleasure. So what would you put on the table first? I guess I was talking with some friends recently, and we came to the kind of conclusion or proposition that the freedom movement, this thing which has grown over the last four years, and which suffered a kind of a setback when the proxy war on the Ukraine was kind of started in February 2022, could really now be seen to be dead, that it died on October the 7th, when this latest round of um, assaults on Gaza, the Gaza Strip began. And I've been thinking about why that's happened and why it's possible to say that and what went wrong with the freedom movements. You know, I guess one of the one of the ways of understanding what's happened to it, I'm not saying it is dead. I think this is a warning that it may be dying. <laughs> it's a patient on the table. I think one of the things we could start with is the term itself. I remember the first time I heard this phrase, the freedom movement, I thought, who are they referring to? Are they talking about something I'm a part of? Um, it's a slightly politically naive term in the sense that it kind of connotes that what we had before lockdown in March 2020 was freedom, kind of an absolute freedom. There's Mm. no such thing as an absolute freedom. There are only the freedoms which are protected by laws and that we can defend. And what we saw under lockdown is that the various human rights that defend our freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, weren't worth the paper they were written on, were they? Um, So I'm not saying this in a cynical way. I think one of the great things that's come out of the last four years 
is that more people than ever before, certainly in my lifetime, are aware of our lack of freedoms, that the civil, um, governmental and non-governmental organizations, which are meant to be protecting them, are not doing so. In fact, they're taking them away. So it's been a wake-up call, I think, to many, many people have become awareness that freedom is not an absolute, that it is always conditional, and those conditions can be changed as they're required. Um, mm. So that's the first thing I think about the freedom movement. There was a kind of a political naivety about that, but I think that was also refreshing because when it began to form into something that you could call a movement in the demonstrations, in the protests, in the coming together of people who had never come together before and who were repoliticized in the bigger sense of the term, um, it was a kind of a fresh start, and I think that was a good thing. You remind me that Alex Craner, an independent writer, referred recently to the tsunami of awakening, okay? Yeah. And I remember that certainly was happening in the 20-teens all around the world. And with protests in Hong Kong and also, um, I think, in Greece and Turkey, or and, and it was re France, the yellow jackets. And I'm appalled at the state of freedom in the United States, the country I know best, my country. And if you wouldn't mind, flesh out how you would describe the state of freedom in the UK for the last 40, 50 years up until um, COVID and then certainly uh, October 7th, the, you know, the major points you make in that really you know, great explanation in the, in the lengthy tweet that you did the other day. <laughs> I think if I did the last 50 years, we'd be here for quite a few hours, Bruce. But yeah, let's, I mean, the, the big change in the sense of personal freedoms, freedoms of protest, um, employment rights, so on, so on, so forth. That really changed, obviously, with 9-11 in 2001. And over here, we had our 7-7, which was kind of a, a follow-up to that. I think over the next 10 years, we had something like 20 major um, acts of parliament, which were usually called something like anti-social or anti-terrorist acts, which progressively took away our freedoms. And not only took them away, but allowed the government um, and its various quangos to intrude more and more into our person, what we used to think of as our personal space. Um, and that kind of, that got exacerbated again, I think, after um, the financial crash, the global financial crash of 2007, which manifested itself very strongly in this country through fiscal policy, cuts to expenditure and so on, which had a huge economic effect on sort of the average person in this country, um, particularly manifested through the housing crisis, which I'm kind of a bit of a specialist in. Um, and all this was used to sort of justify greater intrusions into our private life. But I think it did something else as well. It prepared us <clears throat> for, I think, someone of maybe our generation, we were kind of brought up and freedom was kind of an absolute value, again, more in principle than in practice. I think there's a new generational shift now where the new value is one of safety. Um, you know, in the 10 years in particular after 9-11, um, the figure of the terrorist, which was very quickly equated with anyone who was Muslim, um, really dominated the geopolitics of the world. And it was used to justify everything from um, kind of exposing everything about our life, whether that was walking through a, um, an airline you know, check-in to what we looked at online. Um, all that was kind of um, justified, the intrusion into it, by this figure of the terrorist. So by the time I think 2019 or 2020 came along, with this exponential increase of the erasure of our freedoms, 
we had been prepared for it. Um, I think things like social media and where, as well mm. and smartphones, this kind of new technologies of surveillance had also prepared us for it as well. So it wasn't unexpected, but it was definitely a paradigmatic shift into a whole new level of erasure of our freedoms. And how would you contrast the pushback to the COVID measures, that quote-unquote freedom movement, and what you eloquently describe in your tweet, the head-spinning about face, about lack of appreciating freedom, let alone anybody's rights, in the wake of October 7th in uh, Gaza? Yeah, I think... Um... I mean, what it's done is it's split the freedom movement down the middle. Probably not down the middle, actually. I think, surprisingly, more and more people are actually have swallowed the kind of the Zionist position. Um, I think what struck a lot of us, it struck me, is that a lot of the things that we were accused of, of <clears throat> anti-Semitism, so anyone who questions or is critical of the state of Israel is now immediately accused of anti-Semitism. As many of us were, I never quite got the connection, but many of us were called as accused of anti-Semitism for, you know, being anti-vaxxers and so on and so forth. It's a kind of a catch-all insult. Um, the people who spent four years telling us or telling other people, telling all of us not to trust the government, not to trust the media, to understand that the media doesn't report the news but actually makes the news, not to dress, trust corporate bodies who are forcing vaccine on us, are now telling us that everything that is reported by the State of Israel by the media, by the corporations and the governments is somehow, you know, gospel and should be taken swallowed whole. Um, it's also calling for things like for the police to crack down on protests because they're endangering the safety of the state or of Jewish people in London and so on. Um, exactly as they were taught, we were told, you know, that uh, the protests we were doing, the anti-lockdown protests or the anti-gene therapy protests were a threat to the health of the state and the security of the state as well. And finally, they're also asking for, you know, more draconian uh, legislation to empower the police and the state generally, not only to cr crack down on free speech, um, but also to you know increase the degree of surveillance that we can have of opinions which contradict those of the government. So it has been, as you said, a head spinning about face, which I've been trying to figure out why that has happened. Um, it's it's very very strange. I think one of the reasons, if I can go on, when <clears throat> the freedom movement first started forming, it didn't have any leaders. I'd like that about it. When we got out onto the streets to protest, it took a long time for us to kind of assemble in any great numbers. There wasn't a political party which was there ready to tell us what to do. The people who got up and spoke did so because they wanted to, because people wanted to listen to them, not because they had been nominated by some uh, political party. Uh, we walked where we wanted to go. We protested where we wanted to go. There was a real freedom about it. It was a freedom movement in its actions, not merely in its its words. Um, but because of that, and because the left in, in particular in this country, but I believe across the West, was completely on the side of lockdown, gene therapies, mask mandates, and so on, there was no there was no really anyone to kind of assume these positions of leadership. And the figures who did assume it tended to be, I mean, I don't say this in an insulting way, but they tended to be libertarians. A lot of them were media figures who had platforms in which they could give voice to this growing um, opposition. Or they were generally obscure politicians who broke with the kind of the, uh, the what we call in this country, the whip, the mandates of the um, of their political parties to actually speak out against this. And they all did a wonderful job. But I'm not sure they had much actual conviction about what freedom constituted. I think for a lot of them, what they meant by freedom was the freedom to enjoy the privileges they had before this. 
And now that a lot of those privileges have been returned, um, I don't think they have a kind of a bigger picture of what's happening globally and the real threats to our freedom, which are coming not only from what's going on in Gaza, but things like the, in, the imposition of digital identity systems of central bank digital currency, Agenda 2030, the pandemic treaty, all these sort of things. You, your description parallels my impression of my country, the United States. Uh, it's often painted with a big brush, you know, the dumbing down of America. And it accounts for a lot of what you just described here in the States. Is there a similar notion in the UK? Of dumbing down? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, <clears throat> during during lockdown and during the gene mandates, the the level of media coverage, there were two things about it. One of one of was its explanation of what was going on, why we were expected to give up all our freedoms for two years for a virus with at best the infection fatality rate of seasonal influenza. Um, and they kind of as people began to realize that this was absolutely rubbish, that this didn't constitute anything like a pandemic. And that the gene therapies which were injected into our arms as vaccines were nothing of the kind. Or the masks worn over our faces were some, somehow the explanation from this from the media was um childlike it was just simply filled with fear and rubbish that you know very few people believed in i guess although they tended to obey it um so i think but that's but isn't that but simon isn't that right there a really red hot question how many believed it why did so many go along how how what percentage of your population or mine is completely ignorant of the capture in america of our media by the likes of the cia is a dirty little secret that is really really well known by people who read books and participate in um discussions about those kind of things often with the jfk assassination being the the door to all of that is there something similar like those specifics in the uk and then i want to ask about your writings and i definitely want to ask about your new book about the great reset i think after it's coming up to four years well it's three and a half years since lockdown was first imposed i think i and a lot of people thought that 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 doubt or that awareness of how much the media is captured particularly because there was a kind of a unified front from all the media who was supposedly meant to represent different political views about COVID, as it was about the Ukraine as well, the, the proxy war in the Ukraine, I think there was a very a growing, a massively growing, especially since lockdown has been, uh, the restrictions have been revoked, a growing awareness of how much the media is captured and a doubt about not merely the uh, pronouncements of um, uh, politicians, nobody believes the politicians, but of how much that capture of all our civil society has been. You mm -hmm. know, there's meant to be within a democracy checks and balances which keep a government in line, and the media is meant to be part of that. Even if it's not the mainstream media, maybe social media or small media, and they all seem to have been captured. So there was a growing, I think, lack of belief in this system of ideology, if you like. And you might call me cynical, but things like this, what is going on now in Gaza, seems to have been brought a huge number of people in line again. I mm -hmm. think, you know, to answer your question, why did everyone believe it? I think the usual reasons, fear, hatred of people who seem to be a threat to them. I think it's kind of as simple as that. And I think mm -hmm. the way that the war, the genocide, if you like, that's what I call it, that's what it is in Gaza, 
has been depicted, certainly in this country and I think across the West, it's used incredibly emotive um, uh, reports and language, um, which is based on fear and hatred. It seems to, you know, the question is, is Gaza the next COVID? And it seems like it is. And I wonder if there, if any other conflict issue, horrifying, captivating uh, problem like what's happening in Gaza could compete with that because of some knee-jerk automatic support rally behind uh, the Israeli flag and the Israeli cause because it's it's such an equal case could be made and and a lot of the problem could be laid at the history of how the state of Israel declared its own existence and subsequently my impression from all I've been studying for weeks now about it to really know what the heck's going on and what what has caused it it's really the recalcitrance of the of Israeli governments for decades to deal fairly to acknowledge the the horror of pushing people off their land and not tolerating any solution where their numbers when they were the vast majority in the 40s would have been fairly uh, um, able to participate. What are your thoughts about those kind of perspectives on this problem? Yeah, there are parallels, I think, between when when lockdown happened, when gene mandates were, were made, when mask mandates were made. It seemed that, certainly in this country, I think across the West again, that everyone had forgotten everything they knew about um, the appalling track record of pharmaceutical companies in terms of safety. You know, I've done a lot of research into the records of places, you know, companies like Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna, and you would be surprised to hear that they've got, you know, enormous fines for continuous malpractice. All that seemed to suddenly go out the window. The doubts that we knew about our media and how much it had been captured, all that kind of went away. And that seems to have been repeated, particularly with what's going on in Gaza now. Um, it's hard to believe that anyone who calls themselves a political being hasn't got some awareness of what you're talking about. Um, the history of uh, progressive genocide, if you like, um, mm. and certainly of land capture or, or theft on which the state of Israel has been founded. Um, it is a very, very complex situation, but the Gaza Strip is not an open-air prison. It is a concentration camp. The people in it are given sufficient calories to keep them just above the UN definition of hunger. Yeah, there is no way in and out of it that the Israeli doesn't control. Um, the food, the water, the electricity, the power that goes into it is completely controlled by the Israeli. And yet, when the UN Secretary General, Guterres, said that we can't see these attacks in a vacuum, that is, the attacks from Hamas on, um, on the Israelis you know, in, on October the 7th, which kicked this all off, we can't see these in a vacuum. We have to put them within the history of the 75-year history of occupation. The Israeli government, this emergency government, kind of went mad as if, and again, accused him of anti-Semitism. And he was almost forced, the UN Secretary General was almost forced to withdraw his comment. He was certainly forced to qualify it as well. So I think this, at these crisis moments, what we're told all the time is that this is an unprecedented situation, to forget everything we knew about the past, and to ignore everything that we know through our own experience in our own lives, about the trustworthiness of the institutions, whether that's the government, the media, corporations, who are telling us about what's going on. We should never forget that you and I, and most of the people talking about this, we're not in Gaza, we're not in Israel. Everything that we know about this is coming through the media, obviously. And yet we 
tend to think of this as a kind of a transparent medium. Surely, after four years of COVID and lockdown and gene mandates and the lies of what happened in the Ukraine, we have to question what that's happening. And yet, somehow, somehow, they've managed to trigger, I don't like that word, it's kind of a woke word, but they've managed to trigger something deep within us, certainly in the UK, um, that has made a lot of people who should know better, who do know better, mm. many of whom I know to be moral people and certainly to be intelligent people, to completely put their names and their voices and their backing to the brutality and, I think, the stupidity of Zionism. Zionism is an ideology. It is not based on um, historical fact. It's not based on rational argument. It's based on emotion, which is at once full of hatred and sentimentality. And I've been very surprised that so many people on the freedom movement have seemed to have emptied their brains again, just as so many people did who obeyed the COVID mandates. Well, Simon, you're helping me fill my brain with great stuff, and we're going to come back after a break with me as Simon Elmer. And this is TNT Radio. You should hear what Chris Smith is talking about. Lomborg has long maintained that wealth and an abundance of energy sources are the key elements required to help the world solve threats to our existence, which is why he opposes the obscene amounts of money the United States, the UK, Europe and Australia are spending on climate change, which can only reduce that wealth and make us all weaker. Yes, climate has costs, but so do climate policies. We rarely talk about the fact that as we are making more and more climate policies, that also impacts us negatively. That actually pulls away resources from us. Just to take a look at energy prices here in the UK, energy prices have been coming down for the last two centuries, but now they're starting to go up because of climate policy. But why doesn't the mainstream media's political class ask those correct questions when politicians make humongous spending announcements on, for instance, renewable power? Where are the right questions? Like, what's the cost-benefit analysis of this project minister. They never ask the question. And you know why they don't ask the question? Because the left-leaning mainstream media, they're climate change evangelists as well. They don't want to find holes in such grand renewable plans because that's not part of the environmental narrative. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. This is the awesome and incredible TNT Radio. With me is Simon Elmer. We, You had just started talking about Zionism. What, if anything, have you published about Zionism? And 
Do you know the independent journalist Jeremy Hammond and his writings on this conflict? No, I don't, unfortunately, but I'll look him up. Um, I just published my most recent book, The Great Reset, last you know last month, just as this came on, and I kind of thought I might do a second edition with a big, long kind of final chapter about what's going on in Gaza. But mm. I published a book last, last year called The Road to Fascism for a Critique of the Global Biosecurity State. And I looked at what the history of fascism, historical fascism in the 20s and 30s, could tell us about what has been going on since, well, you know, March 2010, 2020, it actually began before that. And one of the things I've been looking at is a proposition by the Italian philosopher, philosopher Giorgio Agamben, that the paradigm for the modern state is the camp. Um, and when I was looking Repeat at that, Simon, you, you dropped, the paradigm is what? The paradigm for the modern state is the camp. The biopolitical paradigm of the modern state is the camp. Now, when we think of camps now, we might think of Guantanamo Bay. In the last four years, we've thought about the giant camps, the quarantine camps built by China and also in Australia as well. Um, but I was thinking about what is the model of the camp to which we're moving towards? And I immediately looked at Gaza Strip itself. As I said in our previous conversation, Gaza Strip is a camp. And interestingly, it's a camp which is coextensive with that political conurbation, if you like. If you think of Gaza isn't actually an independent state, it's regarded as such, or described as such by the Israelis, but they actually completely control it. But the camp there isn't a set of houses or buildings or huts. It is the state itself. It is under complete mm. surveillance and control. And what I've been trying to do in my most recent book is looking at how things like digital identity, things like central bank digital currency, things like the requirements of Agenda 2030, Things like the pandemic treaty are turning the modern state into a digital camp, of which one of the most powerful surveillance equipment is our smartphones, through which central bank digital currency and digital ID is going to go. So I did, I've got a chapter of my last book, The Road to Fascism, in which I look at um, the model provided of the modern camp, of the digital camp, which is provided by um, Gaza. We could also say what's going on in Ukraine as well. You know, one of the things that's happening in Ukraine is not only that all its its resources, its um, its state assets, um, and its economy have been handed over to U.S. asset managers like BlackRock and Morgan Stanley, and so on. But there's also a massive digital transformation going on there. Their civil service is going to become a smartphone app. Their judicial system is going to be run by artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, they're claiming now to be the first, most the most digital country in the world. So I think I think both Gaza and more recently. Ukraine can offer us a model, an image, a very dystopian image of where we're going in the West. That is a, the state itself being run like a camp, not a physical camp, but a camp in which our movements around within it, um, the requirements of our freedoms within it, our relative freedoms, freedom of mm -hmm. movement or movement outside of it, are controlled by this digital network. And that's kind so of what I'm, my book is about. Go ahead. What's, yeah. Does your book, The Great Reset, have a subtitle? Yes, it is. It's called Biopolitics for Stakeholder Capitalism. Faux, um, faux politics. Biopolitics. 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 Yeah. Biopolitics <laughs> is <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah. it's a term from the seventies. It's about the control of the body. Wow. Um so much of our politics over the last well, we're yeah. moving out of a realm we're moving out of a realm of politics, and I think we're moving into a realm of governmentality. Oh, um, it's a brilliant no, that's such a bullseye biopolitics. Back to Ukraine. Boy, oh boy, there's there's nothing 
There's no better way for at least the Western Empire led by the United States to destroy a company than to in in uh to to arm it for a war as an ally we're supposedly helping. Vietnam comes smashing into mind. And I don't know. Tell me your impression, opinion of two people, a Brit and an American, David Icke and Alex Jones. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not sure I'd like to say anything about that. David Icke, is, you know, he's been ridiculed as a, as, a, as a nutter, I guess, in this country for a very long time. And he does say some strange things. But he's been enormously prescient about a lot of the, um, the moves, if you like, of this global elite, as they like to call themselves. And what they've done to take over power, um, yeah, yeah, that's all yes, I can really say. Well, that that's my impression of both of those guys. What, yeah. and over the last twenty years that I have, sometimes in the past, followed them very assiduously. Lately, for years and years, kind of peripherally, as they kind of cross my screen, and for all their for all their faults, what faults there might be, it's incredible. Again, the tsunami of awakening, like, wow, it really is shaping up to be, in many ways, as bad as their worst prognostications from 20, 30 years ago. And work like yours is urgent and important. We're going to keep talking. We've got time for many more, but I love to fit in early. Simon, where can and should people follow you? Um, they can follow me on my Twitter account, which is Simon Elmer at Simon Elmer 2022. It's a very hard account to find because I'm actually don't exist now on Twitter. If you search for it, um, it will say that I don't exist. Um, so I'm hard, hard to find. Um, you can also yeah. find me on my website, which I'll, I'll give to you. In, it's a long one. It's Architects for Social Housing, um, which is our kind of company that we run in. Um, Architects for Social Housing. If you put my name into Google.co.uk, if you put my name into Google, that's probably the easiest way to find me because I'm published in quite a lot of articles and stuff. Um, you know, if you go back to David Icke, two years ago, I started using this word fascism to what to describe what was going on. And everyone said I was mad. They said, you're being, you know, outrageous. This is not, this is a, a something from the historical past. It's not relevant to the day. But I'm, you know, I regret to say, I think I was absolutely spot on. Hmm. Uh, the kind of the violence of the world that we're going into and this kind of technocratic model of global governance is something which was very much what fascism was based on. And do I do think we're moving into a fascist fascist world. Oh, I think we've long been there. And here's why. Do you know the name of uh, an American author named Jim Mars? No, I don't. I'm sorry. He wrote lots of wonderful books exposing all kinds of uh, truths ignored by mainstream history and the media. His first focus was the JFK assassination. And then he wrote a book, Alien Agenda. Then he wrote two books, one of them, Rule by Secrecy, great subtitle, I forget. And the other one, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, about mm. our secret societies here in America, plus our Operation Paperclip, where we brought in hundreds, if not thousands of Nazis into the United States and embedded them, not only famously in the space program, but in our intelligence community and thereafter quickly followed regime change operations by our CIA, 1953, um, Iran, 1954, Guatemala, 57, 58, a big attempt, I believe, in Indonesia. Oh, also Vietnam was a CIA project from 1954, at least. 
And even the Kennedy assassination, many, including me, consider that a regime change operation at the hands of the United States national security state, newly infused by hundreds, if not thousands of Nazis. And Jim Mars quoted many historians do who look at fascism. They cite Benito Mussolini, Italian dictator from the 20s and 30s, his definition of fascism, the blending of corporate and state power. That's what fascism is. It's not necessarily violence and dictatorial and tyrannical, although as power corrupts so many and people with power increasingly go insane, I believe, he, uh, Jim Mars posited in Nazi Germany, the government took over the corporations. The state took over the corporations. In the United States now, the corporations have taken over the, the state, but the results are the same. And by that, that definition of fascism has never been challenged by anyone who's knowledgeable about these type of things and who confronts it. Yeah, it's the blending of corporate and state power, which, you know, a true freedom movement uh, and the, the America, if we lived up to our ideals, if our government was an honest broker on behalf of the public good between the rich and the powerful and what they want to do to the people, we haven't had anything like that in in decades. So there's you're welcome. There's my little lesson on what I think fascism <laughs> is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It is it is before everyone associates it with jackboots and you know funny outfits and stuff like that. It is above yeah. all a technocratic model of government in which the interests yeah. of the corporations, the big business and the yeah. and the government uh, are elided. You know, every time mm. the the self-elected masters of the universe meet in Davos at the World Economic Forum to decide how they're going to run the world, you never hear the word democracy. I can't remember the last time I've heard a politician in the West use the word democracy. That has right. gone the value as much as the value of freedom has. And I think if the freedom movement is going to re be reborn, and it needs to be, because this is definitely not over. What of my book about is about the second phase of the Great Reset, which began as the we came out of lockdown. And it's all in the process of being implemented now. These new technologies of bad power. If we're going to resist this, and we need to resist it, because if we don't, our children won't forgive us. Um, we need to reclaim mm. those the values of freedom, and the values of democracy. Simon Elmer, you are available at Twitter, though hard to find. And Slowly and clearly, what's that other site people can find you at? Architects for Social Housing. But if you just wow. put my name into Google, if you find, if you put my name Simon Elmer into Google, you'll find me. You'll find my articles, and you'll be able to find my books if you'd like. I hope so. Interested in social social housing? Is that the social housing? The, yeah. What do um, you? And I've, we've we we're down to our last uh, moments here, but that makes me ask: What do you? might know and think about an American economist from the 1800s named Henry George. Are you aware of him? We're not. <laughs> we have different different reading patterns, don't we? But yeah. We do. And not enough time to read all the wonderful books out there. Your latest one is The Great Reset. Is it already out? And again, what's the subtitle? It's called The Great Reset, Biopolitics for Stakeholder Capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism is the new political economy of the West. And this is what yeah. this is about. You can get yeah. it on my website or you can get it um, on, on, on Amazon and other places. Simon, it was great to meet you today. I hope we stay in touch. I yeah. wish you the, the best uh, evening over there or across the pond, as, as we say, over here. And 
We'll be back after a short break. And this is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away. And if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by 1 million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which feature transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families. And customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines, but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here. Home. Because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets. This Christmas, thousands more people across the UK will be facing homelessness. We urgently need your donation. Search Crisis at Christmas or scan the QR code to give £29.73 now. The conversation continues with Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNTradio.live. This is my first day on the weekdays, and I am so thrilled to introduce my guest this hour, Lynn Shaw whose passion, commitment, and involvement with human trafficking began when she, when she represented an author who had written about her horrific experience at the hands of an abusive husband and then the resulting years of her suffering, including the accompanying domestic violence that almost killed her and her children. After becoming immersed in the subject, Lynn's further research led to investigating more about the horrific and ongoing pandemic of human trafficking and child predation as national and global crises. The time is now to form an alliance with proven warriors and advocates committed to raising awareness and seeking permanent solutions to these crimes against humanity. Lynn has a great show here on TNT Radio. It's our first conversation live, and what an honor. And how are you today, Lynn? Thank you, Bruce. Listen, the honor and pleasure, it's all mine. I am very excited to be here with you and uh, to discuss. We have, mm. we actually have a lot in common, Bruce. We can go back 
showbiz. You know, I started out in the music business. And look, now I'm talking about human trafficking. How do these things happen, Bruce? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But we're we're both here on TNT. So hit me up. As I like to say, let's rock and roll. There's a lot to discuss. So many different yeah. uh, topics, things going on. Let me have it. Let's start. Well, I have been graciously informed that we're going to talk about the latest news on U.S. child trafficking and recent allegations. This is this is something against the charity of Ukraine's first lady and media and congressional reaction to these allegations. What's going on? Bruce, just cut in and stop me at any point, because sometimes once I start, Bruce, there is no stopping me. Give me hand signals. Do something, because <clears throat> okay. when I go, I go, Bruce. Now, let's let's okay. first lay out lay out this landscape in the United States. A lot of talk, a lot of chatter. Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, sex trafficking, human trafficking, border. It's a big mishmash. But let me just break it down. Everybody, before they become very overwhelmed and close their ears and eyes to all of this terror should know one thing in the united states and around the globe there is a war on for children there is a war on for children when did precious children become you know uh we can use them like chattel when when did this happen bruce i don't know bruce but here's what's happening in the united states Certainly, and we don't even have enough time to discuss all of this, the internet, and we have all the proven studies, everything we say, Lynn's Warriors, we can back up with studies, data, stats, whatever you want. Look, the internet has fueled a lot of this predation. And what people say, I'm sitting in the, in the middle of New York City, I don't know where you are, Bruce, but every day people clutch their chests and say to me, no, Lynn, this isn't going on. No, this can't be. People simply don't know about it. So here's what's happening. We've got the internet, which is basically over 20 years old now. We've got kids spending up to 11 hours a day. Some some studies suggest ages 9 to 17, up to 11 hours a day. I can't figure out, Bruce, how are they sleeping, eating, going to school, doing anything if they're on the internet all day. But anyway, there's something called parental autonomy, right? So you and me can't tell parents. We can advise, we can suggest, we can point out studies. Get the kids off the internet. Because another Please. fact, everybody, listen, Bruce, everybody has to know wherever the kids are, so are the predators. Because the bottom line is when people say to me, why, 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 Bruce, money. It's a very boring answer, but the truth is there is a lot of money to be made from children. Now, let's fast forward. This has been going on for a while. Children are being uh, trafficked. People don't understand human trafficking is happening at your kitchen table. Children also have access to four different devices, you know, the phones and Chromebooks and laptops and gaming consoles. People always forget the gaming console is the number one place where boys basically are there, and so are the predators. Um, and what they do is they go after your kids. They pretend to be another child. And our kids were so vulnerable. And listen, you know what? Kids learn by example, Bruce. When parents say to me, the kids aren't watching. Look at, look at the way adults, Bruce, are acting with their phones and online. And here's mm. what I had for breakfast. And here's what I mm. look like. I'm raw. You know, you're 60 years old. If I see another woman, Bruce, you know, a contemporary of mine, I'm 60 years old, rocking a bikini. Come on now. So everything has become very watered down. It's in our faces. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But I want to I want to ask you. Yeah, if go you, ahead. Jump right yeah, in because I just keep going. Jump a, right in. But here's I'm picturing this scenario to the 
to quote unquote naysayer who's got young kids who, yes, they're on their phone that much or tablet or whatever, and they're just morose. What mm-hmm. scenarios might be going on with that kid where they're being abused and exploited, but they're still at the dinner table all the time? Those are the kind of things, because absent a child being just gone missing, a lot of folks would hear what you're saying and say, you're describing this big, 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 big problem that that I don't see and that's not happening. So is that a fair uh, area to go into? It's a very fair area. And one of our main points of teaching, it's not always that story, Bruce, we always heard, you know, that white van, you know, a stranger danger, like all that stuff. Yes, that isn't that does indeed happen on any given day in america we have 2300 children missing that's another story why why isn't the media all over this why isn't the public talking about this where are these children okay but what we need for everybody to understand is that online now that being said because we give away so much information that's where I was going before. We give away everything, again, from what we eat to where we're going to where we go to school, who our siblings, our family members are. I have always preached, and I, I Bruce, I use the word preach. I really do. Do not put your children's photos online. But you know everybody's proud of their children and grandchildren. They do it. They do not understand. We have different scenarios of a predator saying, okay, well, I want a 12-year-old girl. This is an example, Bruce. Uh, blonde hair. Now I know because they put all the information online. She goes to this school. She lives in New York City. She goes here after school. There, They go and get the child. Now that is something the media never tells you, this direct approach. Online, what we have happening again, because the kids are so vulnerable. And again, Bruce, another program coming out of COVID where everybody was online, everything. And we haven't recovered from all of that. Everybody was looking for love, looking for attention, looking for friends, just giving it away. We know within 48 hours online, a child will provide a stranger with much of their personal information. Not only that, they are so accustomed now. Teachers tell me across the United States, children are trading nude images left and right. They think nothing of it. And we're talking starting, you know, fourth, fifth grade. We're not talking high school and then through high school. Okay. So now they give away, they're online. They think somebody, you know, likes them. Within a couple of hours, even, Bruce will exchange a nude photo. It starts with, I'll show you mine, you show me yours. And our children are giving away these nude images. And the next thing is this, what is called sextortion. This person, as an example, this boy thinks, yeah, maybe he's 13, 14. He's talking to a, a 13, 14 year old girl. And she's like, you're cute. And let me, let me show you this. And you show me yours. And they do it. But the next, the next message, Bruce, from this pretend girl is, okay, now send me $50. Now I'm going to tell your mother and father. Now you told me who your siblings are. I know where you go to school. I'm going to share this new photo of you. But here's what I say, Bruce, because there's so much sex pushed at us, so much stuff in movies, on TV, streaming, online. The kids have seen everything. Why are the parents and caregivers so embarrassed that they will not talk to their children openly and honestly about all of this? And Bruce, I ask yeah. you, why are the kids so embarrassed that we have a rash of what is called these sextortion cases, particularly teenage boys killing themselves? Because they can't come up with $50. And this, Bruce, affects every type of child from 
you know, well-to-do communities, private schools, to inner city kids. Why is this happening? Look I at our look ask, at our country today, right? Let's talk about it. And if you wouldn't mind, share share what you want to this particular aspect. The the failure of parenting as it has been caused by this society of ours that has been developed for well over a hundred years with less and less parents raising their children, less and less interaction in the classic, the good old days of small towns and communities and shops with entrepreneurs where kids would go to work and help in the family store after school. This separation where kids are now raised by their phones that failure of parenting what's your uh what can you talk into that particular angle of the the parental neglect of their kids bruce i want everyone to be shocked i want everyone to wake up i used to tread a little bit lightly because again there's something called parental autonomy we can't tell parents how to raise their kids. We can't, you know, tell them what to do, okay? But this is out of control. A couple of simple things. Raising awareness, number one step, they have to know what's going on on these devices. That being said, if you buy your child a device, and most parents are or a family member buying these devices, you have a duty and I will scream this from the highest mountaintop now. There are safety features. There are safety filters. There are ways to, you know, limit things. How about family digital partnerships? How about we all put our phones down and devices a half hour a day? We start there. We sit and have family dinner. I know, Bruce, it sounds very simplistic. We have to get that pendulum swinging back. Okay, how about we go out together as a family and walk the dog? Again, I know it sounds very simple, but this is mm. this is the place we're at in America. We have to remind mm. people. And when I say put down the devices, you the adults as well, because the kids are watching. We do a lot of focus groups with kids. We're in a lot of schools. And they will, once we you know get their uh, attention and once they trust us, Bruce, they tell us, our parents don't give us attention. Our parents are online. You know, our parents don't care about us. We've got to get back to communicating, talking, mm -hmm. putting down mm -hmm. the devices, but also understanding that big tech, there's no accountability for any of these big tech platforms right now. And remember, the bipartisan issues belongs to no political party, any of this. Mm -hmm. These are human rights abuses happening in front of us. And while we have all these other disruptions, Bruce, you know, percolating all around us on a daily basis, I like to say we're getting hit over the head with a hammer every day. All of these big tech platforms are just putting out new games for the gaming consoles, new, they close one platform down when lawsuits start and they open up new ones. So we have to work. We have to do it within our homes and communities. We have to start by Amen. talking to the kids. We Win. have to start though at the kitchen table, Bruce. Amen. Where so many great things start, not only Canasta games, but also great conversations. Bad joke. Tell me about two things, please, in any order. What you can tell me about these allegations against the charity of Ukraine's first lady and or your awesome uh, show on TNT radio pick. Well, I want I want to focus on um, the whole 
Ukraine Zelensky charity. Okay. I want to know, there's so much to discuss about this though, Bruce. First of all, um, the first lady, as she's being referred to constantly now, I'm noticing in the media, Hmm. Mrs. Zelensky, you know, let me go back again. I'm in the middle of New York City and the end of every September, we have this UNGA, U-N-G-A 78, which was this year, United Nations General Assembly, number 78, where every world leader, Bruce, they pile in here, they tie up the traffic. You can't walk on the sidewalks, you know, and there was a very reliable story that Mrs. Zelensky was in Cartier on Fifth Avenue, buying herself diamonds. Okay. Now, from sources I have, very reliable. If you look today online, you will see, no, we can't prove this story. This story doesn't, you know, I'm told it happened. Okay. So here is a woman, all of a sudden they're pulling out, for instance, I guess with the time difference, you know, it would be yesterday, World Children's Day. And she's now preaching Every child has a right for protection. Every child has a right for education. Every child has a right to be themselves. She is aligned with the UN, Bruce, United Nations. Now, I actually used to attend events at the United Nations, being here in New York. They've asked me to speak several times. Well, you know what, Bruce, this year? No way. I have done my homework. I am digging deeper. They, a lot of talk. A lot of trafficking is bad. We must protect our children. We must empower children. We must feed our children. We must come together. And I'm talking globally now. Mm -hmm. And guess what, Bruce? The bottom line is nothing ever gets done. It's just a nice kind of glossy, you know, uh, movie set type of Mm -hmm. thing. So I refuse to participate in any of that. But I noticed Mrs. Zelensky, she's very much aligned constantly now with UNICEF, you know, part of the United Nations. And she's preaching nonsense. But here's what I want to ask you, Bruce. Before all this Ukraine business happening, Ukraine was known as the number one country for trafficking of surrogacy. Now, do do you know what that is, Bruce? A surrogate. Women carrying a baby for another woman. Okay. So Ukraine, that was the preferred. It was preferred because uh, Americans in particular would get a lot of babies from the Ukraine. They liked the way the women looked in Ukraine. And By the way, that is Lynn, forcing them we, to carry a pregnancy is trafficking, Bruce. We've got about ninety seconds left. Oh, no. so what? Uh, what's the major uh, place that people can and should follow you, please? First of all, thank you, Bruce, for uh, highlighting and showcasing all. We're going to have we another conversation someplace. It. We just got started, but where can people we, follow? We just you? got yes. started. I can't believe we're finishing. Lynnswarriors.org. That's lynnswarriors.org. And Lynn's show is on Saturdays, I believe, on TNT Radio. For months and months, it was on Saturdays, preceding mine, which is at 3 p.m. Eastern. But we have to keep talking about everything, Bruce. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And you're, you're shedding light on something that is as important as it gets because they rely on us for protection children and they are the future and we can learn innocence and joy from them. Lynn Shaw has been with me and we're going to hear some news and then we'll be back here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio.